Hey, I'm Danny Levy, and you're listening to Digital Transformation and Leadership. This is the show where we go behind the scenes with today's top business leaders to understand how they're digitally transforming their company. This week, I'm joined by Christopher Bishop, a technology futurist, TEDx speaker, deep tech MC, and former IBMer. He is passionate about the potential of emerging technologies to positively transform business and culture. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the future of work. Nanopharmacist, Lunar Tour Guide, Robotic Ethics Consultant, Augmented Reality Medical Content Designer. Have you heard of these jobs? If not, you will. And you and your children will be doing them and working in many of the roles that we can only dream about sitting here in the early 21st century. In fact, 85% of the jobs that today's workers will be doing in the next decade have not been invented yet. So, how do you prepare for the 21st century's global borderless workplace? Well, that's what I get into with Chris on today's episode, and it's coming up next. Chris, welcome to Digital Transformation and Leadership. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here, Danny. Really, really, really good to have you, Chris. Thanks for coming on the show. So just before we started, would you be able to introduce yourself and, and what it is you're doing for the listeners? Sure. Um, I describe myself as a nonlinear, multimodal careerist. So I've had eight careers so far, from touring rock musician to 15 years at IBM. We'll get into that uh, probably in more detail during our conversation. But mm-hmm. currently... Uh, juggling multiple balls. My main focus is quantum information science. I just got back from London. I was a master of ceremonies at an event The Economist produced called Commercializing Quantum. Mm-hmm. And I introduced speakers and panelists talking about enterprise and quantum. Uh, I also do a podcast called The Quantum Tech Pod where I introduce C-suite execs at leading quantum companies. Uh, in addition, I run workshops at universities and early career millennial workplaces called How to Succeed at Jobs That Don't Exist Yet, based on me codifying how I navigated through these eight careers. So those are some of the things I'm doing. I still play in a band. I'm a musician. I actually have three gigs this weekend available. <laughs> you got to keep that creative spark going. Um, it's something you something you love to do, though, right? So I guess, I guess you get a lot of energy from it, right? Playing in the band and yeah. how you started yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. I used to do it for a living, and now I just do it for fun. Did, it, did it did it help when you when you got on the stage and with all the recent work you're doing around quantum and with the podcast? Did having that that musical background and being on the stage and having to perform did that did that transition well? Yes, absolutely. I say the the transition. So again, I've been performing since I was like 14, since I saw the Beatles and Ed Sullivan, and taught myself to play guitar and put a band together when I was 14 years old. Um, dating myself now. Um, but actually, the sort of real, more palpable transition was when I was working at IBM, and I would see these execs speak, do presentations, and you know, trot out numbers, and uh, talk about uh, you know, cash flow, and you know, trending around uh, adoption of big iron, and whatever. Uh, and I thought, you know, I could probably recast my rock and roll persona in a corporate setting by doing that. I mean, I, I don't shrink from the spotlight, and I'm comfortable in front of a crowd. And mm-hmm. So I, I went to the On Demand Speakers Bureau at the time and uh, 
offered my services and they gave me a deck to learn and I learned it and uh, sort of interviewed, auditioned for the guy who ran the speaker bureau and he started sending me out to client engagements. So it was, it was pretty exciting. Well, I'm sure we're going to get into this more a bit later in the episode as well around your your background and, and, and how you got where you are. But um, uh, before we kick off, Chris, I wanted to ask you uh, an icebreaker question. Um, okay. But but I've changed it up a little bit in season four. Um, so I'm going to ask you a series of rapid fire questions, uh, five to be exact. So are you ready? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm seated. You're seated. Okay. So <laughs> here we go. Here we go. So Chris, drum roll. What is your strongest uh, skill? <laughs> my strongest skill probably is being curious. Okay. How would your friends describe you? Well, it's a tough question because I have uh, friends across the range of different sort of disciplines, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, friends I play platform tennis with would say, well, he's like a pretty mediocre paddle player. Um, the guys I do gigs with, the bands would say he's really a great bass player. I mean, he's a pro. He did it for a living in New York for 16 years. Yeah. Toured, was on the road. And um, The quantum people would probably say that I am able to bring perspective around business and technology and how they connect. Uh, the people that I do the workshops for, the students would probably say, boy, he's had an interesting bunch of careers so far. <laughs> so that's a long-winded answer, but that's kind of how it would work, I think. Have you ever met one of your heroes? I have, actually. Um, probably the most interesting was I was doing a record in 1973 in London with a band called McKendry Spring mm -hmm. and um, went to the men's room and ran into Mick Jagger. Wow. <laughs> and he was mixing his record, Goat's Head Soup, downstairs in a smaller studio. And we were mixing our record, the McKendry Spring record, upstairs. And he was like, oh, I'm Mick. And I'm like, yes, I know who you are, man. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. <laughs> and he was very gracious and uh, unassuming and also very serious about the music. The thing I would say is uh, when I look through the window in the door of the studio, as some of you may know, you can kind mm -hmm. of see in. Um, he was at the mixing console, this is before automated boards, and was had his eyes closed and was totally focused on what was coming out of the speakers, right? What the, okay. what the music was like. So I went back upstairs to our producer and said, I just ran into Mick Jagger, can you believe it, downstairs. And I said, I was amazed that he was so focused on the music and he was in the, at the control room, you know, at the console with his eyes closed. I said, I thought he'd have like a velvet cape and a babe on each arm and a bottle <laughs> of champagne. And it's like a two-beat pause and the producer says, he's the most serious guy you'll ever meet about his mm -hmm. music. <laughs> and it makes sense. That's why he's still doing it at 78 or whatever he is. Yeah. Yeah, I love the fact that he introduced himself as well. Yeah, really, like as if I wouldn't know who he was. Yeah. Has a book ever changed your life, Chris? Uh, yes, I read a book called Be Here Now by Baba Ram Das. Okay. After I graduated from college. And it was by Richard Alpert, who was a Harvard professor who worked with Timothy Leary in the 60s. Mm -hmm. in the era of, you know, turn on, tune in, drop out, LSD, all that. Um, but it was a very interesting him describing how he transitioned from being like a Harvard professor into studying Eastern philosophy and becoming a Buddhist and uh, getting into meditation and being a vegetarian and sort of thinking big picture about the mm -hmm. world. So was right after college, it was a very um, enlightening uh, tome for me to, to work on. I can imagine. 
What, what, what's the best place you've ever traveled to? I've been to a lot of great places. One of my favorite places is Aruba, actually. Okay. Which is an island off Venezuela in the in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. I love the Caribbean. It's very relaxed. It's the beaches are beautiful. So from a just sort of relaxing um, sort of physical standpoint, I'd say that's one of my favorite places. I also like Provence. Okay. Um, I love the the vibe there. One medieval hilltop town after another, um, and also. I would have to say Scotland. So I, my clan is McNab on my mother's side. Right. Um, and we went to visit where the McNab ancient burial ground is, whatever. And I felt a real kinship with that sort of culture and those people mm. on that worldview. Yeah. Kind of a little, a little crazy, but in a good way. I mean, kind of fearless. I mean, I think Hadrian's Wall says it all. <laughs> like, even the Romans were like, you know, these guys are a little too nuts even for us to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to put a wall and yeah. let them do what they want up there and we'll just deal with them as, as we need to. Yeah, it was fun. I love that you've managed to weave in more than one place. Chris, really, really, really good insights. Thank you for, for sharing. So, yeah. so let's change pace. Um, we're going to get into the, the topic for the day. And okay. we're going to talk about how to succeed at jobs that don't exist yet. And uh, clearly yeah. this is something that's that's happening at the moment. We've got um, the explosion of technology that's been taking place, uh, things like artificial intelligence, which are clearly gathering steam. And at the time of, of this recording, uh, you've got things like ChatGBT in the mainstream and many other AI tools um, coming in to support um, people in the workplace. I can obviously um, threaten existing ways of work and, and the ways in which people study and and new jobs will exist and, and old jobs will, will cease to happen. And uh, we're going to get into that today. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to talk about it with you and, and to get your thoughts on, on what this means uh, for the future. Uh, so um, if you could kick us off, I, I'd be really interested to get your perspective on uh, how economics are driving worse workforce trends at the moment. Well, I think it's always, at the end of the day, it's always about economics. It's risk of signing crass, right? Mm -hmm. um, and certainly today we live in a global market-driven economy, but even going back, there are many books actually about this. There's a great book called The Story of Work okay. um, by this Danish uh, scholar. Uh, but the idea is, and I always like to frame the sort of bigger picture around technology and economics and careers and jobs, right? So um, the world of work, if you will, has been uh, transformed by economics and te technology. So I think of you know, after the last ice age, or even before, when we were wandering around in the Pleistocene wilderness trying to find something bigger than us to kill so we could mm -hmm. eat it and use it to make clothing, um, there was an economy and there were, there were technologies. The te technology of the day might have been a sharp spear, how to make a sharp spear and how to throw it well, mm -hmm. or how to build mm -hmm. a fire and keep it going for weeks at a time, or how to make clothing, how to use the skin of an animal required certain technologies and there were economics associated with all of it right so mm -hmm. the people who killed the animal and dragged it back to the cave um, had a role in the economic job machine if you will uh, that was different from the people maintaining the fire and the people building the clothing and the artists decorating the cave or whatever mm -hmm. so big picture perspective on sort of careers and jobs and work and economics i think you need to keep that in mind 
um, even though we're in 2023, and it's been morphing and changing again for thousands of years. I remember meeting mm -hmm. at one of these future work events, sitting next to economists, and the speaker was saying, yeah, we're not doing the jobs we did 50 years ago because of blah, blah, blah. And he turns to me and goes, thank goodness we're not doing the jobs we did 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. We're not shoveling horse poop off the streets of New York. I mean, come on. Yeah, and there are lots of examples you can cite about that. Yeah, but yeah. Again, economics drives it all, and at the core of it is uh, always technology. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree, and, and history tends to repeat itself. But, but do you think that at the moment, and given how fast technology is moving, um, uh, new things coming into play all the time, uh, new opportunities, things like quantum computing that I know you... Um, you're very close to. Do you think that now is different, or do you just see that it's history repeating itself? It is a pattern, or do you think things are happening faster than ever before at the moment in terms of workforce trends? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that things are happening faster. There's a great graph somewhere. I can maybe try to dig it out and share it with you. You could put it in the, the uh, program notes. But yeah. there's a chart that shows the relative speed of adoption of a set like a dozen technologies starting with I think you know radios yeah and going to electricity and telephones and social media and metaverse and probably the updated version with quantum inclusion in it so I think certainly to your point it's it's happening faster and faster but again it's been going on like kind of like forever I mean it's uh, you know it's it's the nature of um, how humans live and work. Uh, the example, the sort of the revelation for me as a sort of amateur economic historian, uh, I was a bass player in New York. I moved to New York City after this band broke up. So mm -hmm. I could run with dogs. And uh, we, we were quite busy initially. Played in about a dozen different bands, did um, two tours and a live album with Robert Palmer. and um, So, it, you know, it was busy. But then I contend that in 1985, music became data mm -hmm. and these guys and gals with racks full of samplers and sequencers could do what a room full of musicians had been doing for years and years and years so they would roll in their gear and play the drum part and play the bass part and play the string part and play the piano part and play the organ and play the winds and uh you know and the rest of us were like okay now what i mean literally within 18 months the music scene in New York completely changed. It changed all over the world, and it changed in London for sure. I had a lot of friends who left New York and moved to Nashville, where uh, there was still you know, more of a focus on live playing. L.A. for sure, soundtracks and for movies and scores for TV shows. Uh, but in New York, it was like you had to either, you know, jump in or get out. Mm -hmm. So I bought a Mac Plus in '86 <laughs> and learned how to sequence and. Had a stripe of a track with Cinti time codes, so it would chase lock the picture. And um, but I had a lot of friends who either moved out of town or figured out how to do something else, or ended up doing club dates, or went to do a Broadway show. All very saying, along with that answer, but the idea is um, technology is constantly driving economic transformation, mm -hmm. and you have to either embrace it or do something else. But again, I would encourage listeners to. Embrace it. The, the cool thing is there are lots of exciting new things to do driven by these uh, new models uh, in technology. I just saw a segment on like Bloomberg TV or whatever. They're saying 
There's a new role called prompt engineer. Yeah. People are putting out, hanging out a shingle saying, you know, I can help you create prompts for chat GPT. Yeah. So you get the output you want. Like, yeah. So that wasn't a job last year. Just saying. No. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's, uh, it's, although it's giving you the output, it's making you think about the input, isn't it? So actually, are we, yeah. are we asking better questions? Is it encouraging people to, to really think about the questions they ask and, and what they put in to get the right responses? Yeah, um, and how to things. manipulate the technology, right? Yeah. So it's not perfect, and it responds based on what you put into it. Again, it's not yeah. making it up. It's a large language model. It's pulling from millions or billions of lines of mm-hmm. code and language that it's looked at. But, so yeah, and and I think yeah, it's it's using it as to to kind of augment your workflow, isn't it? To yeah. As, a, as an assistant, really, right? To enhance what yeah. you're doing, to maybe save yourself time, um, yeah. not not to kind of lean on it too heavily, I think, in a lot of settings. And, and that, that, yeah. the technology is clearly not ready yet. Yeah, well, there was a quote in the Harvard Business Review a few years ago. I actually, I used it in a talk that I gave in London. Um, and the, it goes, I guess I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, AI won't replace managers, but managers who use AI will replace the ones who don't. Yes, <laughs> so and true. You could, you could slot in robotics or biotech or quantum or um, you know any uh, myriad new technologies into that slot and get the same you know have the same message, if you will. Yeah, yeah. There's there's new careers that are emerging at the intersection of kind of historically unconnected disciplines at the moment. Yeah. And I would kind of love to get your your brain on on that topic and kind of help me unpack that because you know I find this fascinating and, and would really really like to get your thoughts on that, Chris. An example that I typically use when I do these workshops at universities is the role of a nanopharmacist. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a minute, right? So because we can now create machines at the nanoscale, the three. A chemist who won the Nobel Prize, I think four or five years ago, won it for creating viable nano machine. Mm-hmm. Worth noting that MIT a few years ago opened a four hundred million dollar nano building on their campus, like nine floors of clean rooms, focused on nanotechnology. Uh, so that's that's the first piece of, of this new job. The second piece is of pharmacology. So mm-hmm. being able to deliver. Uh, drugs at a you know cellular level yeah. uh, is becoming increasingly a viable uh, option. You know, right to the wound, right to the tumor, right to the place where the medicine is needed. It's going to transform, you know, personalized medicine. How we how we deliver um, drugs and, and and move toward cures and um, you know fixing health problems, if you will. Yeah. So there's a so in order to, to have that job. You can need some sense of mechanical engineering at the nanoscale, 10 to the mm-hmm. minus number, as well as pharmacology, like how do you put together tools and or dosages and or compounds right, that could be delivered this way, this specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty exciting. But again, those two, you know, mechanical engineering and pharmacology haven't historically been connected. Yeah. But what's happening now, they're actually are two doctors at UC Berkeley who've created something called Neural Dust. Right. It's, it's the size of a grain of rice. It's an implantable 
medical device, if you will, that generates ultrasound and also captures data about physiology and transmits it wirelessly back to a, a receiver. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of one example. There'll be, you know, there'll be more and more of those. Another fun one is um, astrophysics and hospitality. Okay. There's a company called uh, Orbital Systems that's purporting to put up a space hotel by 2027. It's going to be sort of modeled after the International Space Station. Be a big wheel that'll spin. It'll have a research lab and a cinema and 400 rooms. Mm -hmm. So it sounds ambitious, but they're supposedly going to put this up there. So my sort of quasi um, humorous contention is someone's got to learn how to mix a Singapore sling in microgravity. <laughs> That's a new skill. How will you do that? Yeah. I, and all the attendant skills around running a resort that's going around the earth at uh, 18,000 miles an hour. Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? Do you, do you, yeah. how, do you, how, do, how do you see these kind of merging of disciplines and industries coming together? Do you think it will happen, have to happen kind of organically, learning on the move? Will it be, will it be more formal in terms of the way that education will have to change? Um, yeah. How, how will we, be, we best prepare people for this, this new reality? Yeah, so implications for education certainly are huge. I think the, the meta guidance is for listeners or students or anyone mid-career, wherever you are, uh, is to think about what you know how to do Mm -hmm. And think about what you're interested in doing and what the delta is. What's the gap? Like, what would you need to know how to do in order to do the thing you, you see as your next career goal or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, so, say you want to work in space hospitality, you might go to Cornell to their uh, hotel school, but you're also going to need some training in astrophysics. You might have to take a course in, you know, how. Uh, how do rocket ships get up there? How do you move gear at a million dollars a pound to get it up to the space station? You might want to do a stint or investigate thought leaders at SpaceX or mm -hmm. uh, NASA or GPL, right? So again, thinking broadly across a range of disciplines that are going to connect, that might connect sooner than later. Mm -hmm. And ideally, you know, keep your spidey sense up, your antenna um, ready to take in ideas about where there's something interesting going on that you might want to learn how to do where you could transfer some of what you know how to do and then that the delta between what you have to learn isn't so off-putting that you couldn't manage it yeah um, and that and the model is you know today's learners are going to have eight to ten jobs by the time they're 38 mm. u.s bureau of labor statistics data so i encourage listeners thinking about new careers to keep that in mind. I mean, mm. standard mean deviation indicates some will have more, some will have less, but that's the kind of the data. And then it's coming from a public sector agency. So essentially they have no agenda. They're like, here's what we found. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to get you a job at McKinsey. We're just mm -hmm. telling you, this is what we saw. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> if, if people are gonna move this much, they need to have this kind of flexibility and uh, yeah. adaptability built in, I guess. Um, yeah. When they've got to when they've got to move around, do you do you think that it's it's better to kind of hone your skills, find what you're good at, you know, where are your strengths, and then try and also transition those strengths uh, into those other jobs and into those other industries? 
Um, yes, that's going to make it easier as well, isn't it, in terms of being able to make that kind of uh, that adaption. Yeah, it's like thinking about what you do well, what you mm. know how to do, what you enjoy doing. What, back to your icebreaker question, like what would your friends say about you in terms of, oh, he's really good or she does that really well. Yeah. Think about what that is. Um, and then, again, think about what you need to know. So here's an example. Well, even this, uh, right? I mean, if you're, if you're a naturally curious person and... Uh, yeah. You enjoy talking to other people, asking questions. You might be in one industry, but actually being able to then move into doing something like uh, a podcasting—that that—that's a transition, isn't it? That you can yeah. you can make that step. I I didn't think I would be podcasting back in 2020, but I was always yeah. pretty curious, like you, and like to ask questions. And here I am, yeah. season four, hundred episodes in, uh, yeah, made great. that transition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And again, the other thing is not the only thing you do. I think we're pointing that out. Yeah. Right? It's not like this is all you do. You have um, sort of the proverbial day job. Mm -hmm. I'm technically retired. I mean, the, the IRS thinks I'm a retired IBMer here in the US. <laughs> but I mean, I probably have half a dozen different quote unquote jobs that I'm still sort of juggling between podcasting and being a freelance deep tech MC. And mm -hmm. I work with the Quantum Economic Development Consortium. And their workforce technology advisory committee. Uh, I do webinars on future work. Uh, I go to universities and talk. Mm -hmm. Just like you, I mean, this this is one of the many things that probably our listeners are either doing or going to be doing. Mm -hmm. I think there's a multimodal approach to careers. Yeah, it's having that open mind, though, isn't it? That growth mindset, because you do. For some people, it will be more unnatural, or they will just be stronger in other areas. So, so Chris, I guess um, in terms of people that are either, I guess, early in their careers, or, or maybe the stat you used there was really eye-opening around how many times they'll they'll change roles before they're thirty-eight, uh, or maybe even later in your career if you if you're kind of just looking to make that transition. What what's what's kind of your toolkit? What what are your recommendations on? three steps to finding your next job and I guess the one after that because clearly <laughs> nowadays we may change more than we think we're going to do. Yeah well so three of four are data points I like to start this kind of conversation with and they are that common wisdom or research indicates however you want to qualify this says that today's the 85 percent of the jobs that today's learners are going to do in the next decade or so haven't been invented yet. Yeah. Right? Back to my early reference to prompt engineer. You know, that's all the rage now. That wasn't a job a year ago. Um, you know, quantum algorithm designer wasn't really a job like five years ago. Uh, social media manager wasn't a job until maybe 10 years ago. So yeah. Yeah, I just want to log that with our listeners. <laughs> the second point is um, the technology that you're going to use doesn't exist yet. So mm -hmm. it's going to make things like iPhones and smartphones look antiquated. I always say to young kids, get ready for an out-of-the-mouths-of-babes comment from your grandchildren saying, you mean you had to carry something around in your pocket to talk to Grandma? Wow, <laughs> Grandpa, what a drag. Inconvenient, like how stupid that was. You couldn't just like flick on the chip in the back of your neck or whatever the solution <laughs> will be. Right? And the other sort of final aphora is... You're going to be using this technology to solve problems we don't yet know are problems. Mm -hmm. 
So how do you build a space farm on the craft that's going to take settlers to Mars on a six-month journey to another planet? Yeah. We don't know. But someone's going to figure it out for sure. So based on sort of that as a uh, set of uh, starting points or premises, if you will, um, I put together what I call my future career toolkit. Yeah. It's based on how I navigated these eight careers. And the three tools are voice, antenna, and mesh. Mm-hmm. And again, I can share a link to, uh, I have a workbook version of this in a PDF that I'm happy to share. I have a bunch of presentations on SlideShare as well. If you look me up there, you can find these presentations. But the idea is the first activity, first tool is voice. And we use ideation techniques as triggers. What's your favorite movie, TV show, game, or book? can be from last week or from your childhood. And what about that resonates with you? We use this to determine, like, back to the idea of what would your friends say about you? What's your unique set of skills that you bring to the job marketplace, if you will, that you bring to the world? Mm-hmm. What do you do that you know no one else does, that you do really well? So these triggers help people find those focus areas, find their voice, if you will. Again, my musical background mm. has me call it voice. The second uh, tool is antenna, and that activity involves tracking down where conversations around the characteristics you teased out in the voice exercise are taking place. Mm-hmm. And it can be elite newspapers like the New York Times or the Washington Post, or it can be TikTok, it can be YouTube, it can be uh, a book, an author, a blog that you follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the range is, uh, is wide open. I always contend the great news today is there's lots of ways to get information about various topics but the bad news is there's lots of great ways to get information about various topics so doing the sort of triage on the tsunami of options is, is challenging but can be done. I still struggle with it and I do it every day and then the final tool is mesh and that's that activity requires you to take a look at where the actual conversations are going on who the people are mm-hmm. and who are the thought leaders and what are the companies that are leading the charge Okay. So I always contend there's a Miles Davis in every discipline. Okay. There's a Tony Hart. There's a Serena Williams. All right. There's an Elvis Presley. Find out who that person is, male, female, whatever, and follow them. Mm-hmm. Find them on LinkedIn. See if they publish a blog. If they have a YouTube channel. If they do TikTok videos, whatever, and and then see who they follow, who they comment on, uh, who they link out to, whose content they promote or respect or admire. So those are the three tools. Um, and again, I encourage uh, listeners to, to check it out. There's presentations on SlideShare. I'm happy to share the PDF of this. I put it together as a workbook, sort of a 12-page workbook that steps you through how to do this. And that's kind of what I've been doing for 50 years, basically. <laughs> Are you, and are, yeah. you seeing, are you seeing the cohorts and the people you work with, are they, they're putting this into practice and are they giving you feedback? Are they getting, are they getting good results? Yes, they are. Uh, you know, especially younger people, I have to say yeah. with all due respect, as an old person I can say that. Um, <laughs> like millennials and the like totally get it. I think they're comfortable with this as a process, as a set of tools, a set of exercises, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of it, well, like a modesty, is that it's really sort of vertical and discipline agnostic. I mean, it works no matter what you're interested in, no matter what your skill set is, no matter what kind of role you'd like to have. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, you know, again, according to the research, 
your roles are going to change. You can use it to find your next job and use it to find the job after that and then the one after that. Awesome. Chris, really enjoyed the conversation uh, around uh, future of work, what it means and, and jobs that don't exist yet. Thank you for for talking us through all of those those different points. Uh, really valuable. And uh, yeah, I've got a, a few things that I'm going to take away as well. So really, really useful. Um, just well, before we finish, Chris, um, just wanted to ask you a, a couple of final questions um, about your career and about some, some advice you would give. Uh, I'm really, really interested to get your thoughts on these as well. Um, you've, you've had a, an untraditional career path uh, I, I would say, but uh, so so really interested to to ask you this one. Um, uh, if you could share one life or career lesson with the listeners, what would it be? Well, I would say when I first moved to New York, this was sort of a real world example, but it has a meta message. Um, I thought I was a pretty good bass player, and I studied in college, played in orchestras, and played in jazz groups, and played in rock bands, and studied classical string bass, and um, but I got to New York and was invited to a session, a jam session, with this quite well-known Japanese jazz guitar player, Mitsuo, I'm with mm-hmm. his apartment, on my bass, and he says, what tune do you want to play? I said, what? What do you mean? He said, well, we're going to we'll play some bebop tunes, right? Don't you want to play some standards or yeah. something from the Great American Songbook? I said, I actually don't know any of those tunes. And so we played some blues, and I think he took out a fake book, right. which has all those tunes, Lead Sheets, right? And I sort of stumbled through a few of them, and, and then he sort of uh, disdainfully dismissed me, if you will. And I went out of there with my tail between my legs mm-hmm. and realized that I had work to do. Again, I had some skills, back to the theme of skills you have, skills you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I realized I didn't know how to play bebop tunes. I didn't know how to read a lead sheet. I couldn't get through a fake book. Uh, my sight reading was not the greatest. So I called up a friend of mine. Yeah. Was another manager, right? So reach for your network. A guy I knew from college, a brilliant musician. I said, Randy, I got to learn how to play bebop tunes. I got to learn how to deal with a fake book. I got to improve my sight reading. So he graciously uh, took me aside and came to my loft and sat with me and showed me how it works. These are the scales, these are the tunes, these are the chords, this is the mechanics, you know, practice. <laughs> Here's what yeah. you got to work on. So that was a real lesson for me. And again, the, the takeaway is always be aware you know, that you know how to do things. I knew how to do certain things, but I didn't know how to do other things. And to be a successful bass player in New York, you had to know how to play jazz and how to play bebop and Mm-hmm. How to read a lead sheet and how to get in and get out quickly. And um, so, again, the meta message for listeners is uh, you know, don't be afraid to fail, but be aware, be candid about what you know how to do and what you don't know how to do, and figure out how to learn what you need to know. Yeah. And there are lots of ways to do it now. Oh, my goodness. I mean, YouTube videos and Coursera and Wikipedia, lots of online courseware, LinkedIn Learning and edX. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's on and on. So. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you've got to ask as well, haven't you? What you're not yeah. so strong at yeah. and where you can improve because you, you can easily have those blind spots and <laughs> miss things. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, yeah, that's fantastic advice, Chris. Thank you for sharing. And and the last question, um, what what advice would you give to listeners that are just starting out on their, their journey? Well, 
I would say get ready to do lots of different interesting things. Hmm. Right, the day of the dream job uh, is over, uh, for better or for worse. I mean, I worked at IBM with people who've been there thirty years, yeah, thirty-five years. Mm -hmm. One guy wobbling around had been there forty years, I think. <laughs> uh, so those days are gone. Thank goodness. I mean, mm -hmm. um, there's too much interesting stuff to do to sit in one place for very long. The general admonition is once you get comfortable in a job after, say, 18 months or so, mm -hmm. look for your next job. Yeah. And again, the meta message is you listeners, whoever, today's learners, if you're just starting out, you're going to do stuff that's going to look like magic to me. Mm. So get to it. I mean, you yeah. have the opportunity to use technologies more powerful than um, anything we've ever had. To do really interesting things and solve problems that have been intractable to date so that's exciting to me and i think it should be i hope it is for your listeners yeah super exciting super super exciting chris thank you so much again for for coming on digital transformation and leadership and and sharing thank everything you. with with the listeners um how, how can people get in touch if if they want to find out more from you well so Please read for me on LinkedIn. I'm always up for connecting on LinkedIn. That is the lingua franca, right? That's the coin of the realm. That's where professional conversations are going on across a range of topics. If you're interested in quantum, for example, there's a very active, robust quantum community uh, on LinkedIn. Interesting conversations, people posting thought leadership uh, guidance and technological breakthroughs and uh, new approaches to this remarkable technology. Um, so read for me on LinkedIn. I, again, I have content on SlideShare. You can email me, Chris, at improvisingcareers.com. Uh, feel free to, to reach for me there. And, and um, my cell phone number is on my LinkedIn profile as well. It's on WhatsApp. Uh, I enjoy connecting. I try to add people to my LinkedIn profile every day. My admonition to college students or even early career uh, workers is try to add five people a week to your LinkedIn profile. Make it a job. And that's the that's where the conversations are going on, mm -hmm. because that's where people will find you. That's where you'll connect with your next employer or your next investor or your next employee if you're starting a company or your next business partner, or your next uh, person or organization in your supply chain. I mean, that's where the conversations are going on today. Thank goodness. Exactly. Yeah. Don't hide away. Be uh, yeah. Be on yeah. there and and be proud about what you're doing and and make sure you're yeah. you're connecting yeah. and talking about your your day-to-day -day. and you've got yeah. a you've got a fantastic podcast as well um i do well, thank <laughs> you yeah <laughs> it's uh it's called the quantum tech pod it's on apple music and spotify and it's with all you know candor it's pretty esoteric but it's pretty interesting i think um again their conversations with mostly ceos at leading quantum companies although i speak to senior execs and a range of roles but Mostly it's people who have a P&L, right? A profit and loss responsibility, have a bogey, have a target. Who are trying, the net meaning, they're trying to make a business out of this new technology, which is morphing and changing as we sit here. Um, so that's, yeah, check out the podcast if you're interested in what's going on in quantum information science. Yeah, be sure to check it out. It's a, it's a really, really interesting listen. And if you want to get a handle on what's happening in the quantum computing space, that's the that's the place to go. Chris, thank you again. Really, really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, thank, thank you for you. coming on and, and sharing all of your 
your insights with the listeners. Thank you, Danny. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. You've made it to the end of another episode of Digital Transformation and Leadership. If you're enjoying the show, please do leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. No need to leave a written review. Just clicking on the five stars is enough. I'd really appreciate it as it helps the show get found and it helps those listener numbers grow. And we'll be back with another top business leader to understand how they're digitally transforming their company. The Digital Transformation and Leadership Podcast is a Blue Aurora Media Production.